During Advent this year, we are looking at the appointed psalms for each week. Psalm 80, Psalm 85, and next week, Psalm 126. They have a common feature. In each of them, we see the phrase, Restore us, O God. Last week, we, un- we came to understand that plea for restoration as coming from the northern kingdom at a time when an enemy army was approaching that would eventually destroy that kingdom. This week, it is a very different circumstance. So we'll start, first of all, by looking at the setting of the psalm and its basic message, a message, restore us again, O Lord. Then we'll see how the plea of the psalmist is our plea as well in Advent and in life. And then thirdly, we'll look at the work of restoring others and see an example from this psalm of how we can be involved in that. That's where we're headed tonight. So part one, the setting and message. This psalm is a psalm of the Korahites. Another odd name, right? Korah was the son of Izhar. And their family came from the Levitical line, the priestly line, but they were only minor folks in that line. They were gatekeepers at the tent of meeting while the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness. Korah himself became involved in a revolt against the priest, Aaron, and the results were quite grisly. We'll not talk about those. But his descendants, apparently, continue to serve as gatekeepers and songwriters, for they show up in that role both at the time of David and during the Temple of Solomon. The situation being addressed here is a drought. Now, one needs to know a little bit about the annual cycle of uh, precipitation in the Holy Land in order to understand just how serious a drought might be. There are two seasons in the Holy Land. Rainy season, December, January, and February. So yeah, it's raining in the Holy Land right now. And dry season when it doesn't rain. So, a drought occurs when, for some reason, the annual rains of December, January, and February don't come. And you see how serious that circumstance is because you have to wait for another year before you can replant. You can't just put a different crop in when the rains eventually start again. The disruption was real. The Canaanites, who were in the land before the Israelites and were still around while the Israelites were there, were followers of Baal, a storm god, and believed that droughts were caused when Baal went on a trip and took the clouds and the rain with him on his travels. The Israelites understood drought as a withdrawal of God's favor because they had sinned grievously against God. One of the most famous stories to illustrate this 
happened when Ahab became king of Israel, the northern kingdom. Ahab was married to Jezebel, and since nobody names their daughters Jezebel, you probably get a sense of what kind of woman she was. She was a follower of Baal, and so Ahab, to please his new wife, put up cult sites and altars for Baal. So Elijah went to Ahab and said, it's not going to rain again until I say so. Sin brings drought. And it was three years later at the the marvelous confrontation of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, you know, the two altars and fire from heaven consuming the altar of the God of Israel, proving that he was the true God, that's when rain came again. So there was a strong connection in the Bible between the cycles of nature and the cycles of faithfulness and unfaithfulness among God's people. So that's the setting. When we turn to the psalm itself, it has three parts. The first part is a recollection, a looking back, a remembering of what God had done in the past when there had been a drought. You were favorable. You restored our fortunes. You forgave our iniquity. You covered over our sin. You withdrew your wrath. You turned away from hot anger. That's the first section of the psalm. Then in the middle comes the plea to restore us again. As you did before, please do so again. Restore us again. Put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger? Will you not revive us that your people may praise you? Show us your steadfast love. Grant us your salvation. That's the plea of the people to God. The third part of the psalm announces, if you will, the absolution. Let me hear what the Lord will speak. He will speak peace to the people. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and and peace, they kiss each other. Yes, the Lord will do what is good and our land will yield its increase. Now, we're not told which drought was in the mind of the psalm writer, but this psalm was cherished, so much so that it became part of the book of Psalms, undoubtedly because again and again the people had experienced restoration from God. That persistent grace Showing grace and showing it again and showing it again and showing it again is a characteristic of of God that comes to its greatest fulfillment at this very season when God sends a child, his son, among us. And that offer of grace again and again is confirmed for us when Jesus comes forth from the tomb. Part two, their plea, restore us again, is our plea as well. 
Although droughts are increasingly common in our time, we don't attribute them to God's punishment for human sinfulness. But we do recognize the cyclic nature of our human sinfulness. Martin Luther, in writing about baptism, pleaded with those of us who study the catechism to return to your baptism daily so that the old person may be put to death and the new person come forth to live in righteousness and holiness. When we gather as an assembly, we regularly use rites of confession and absolution in our services. They are a call. Restore us again, O God, because, you see, we cannot not sin, and so must seek restoration again and again. Now, the plea of the psalm, the pattern we saw it, is worth repeating for us as well. It began with recollection. The psalmist recalls how God had restored them in a time of drought and would again. But our recollection of what God has done is much deeper than that. Not just the ending of droughts, but the story of Jesus. God coming among us in Jesus. God walking among us in Jesus. Jesus speaking words of forgiveness to the paralytic. Words of forgiveness to the woman caught in adultery. Words of of forgiveness to the tax collector. Again and again, spending his time, I have come to rescue the, the, the sinner. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. Unto you is born a Savior. There is nothing more deep and profound than that until that Savior on a cross says, it is finished. And three days later, a messenger says, he's not here. He has been raised. We recall the favor of God and what God has done in Jesus. And so we can confidently pray, restore us again. Show us your steadfast love. Grant us your salvation. And when it comes to the absolution, let me hear what the Lord will speak we recall what the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says in his opening verses. In many and various ways, God spoke to God's people of old by the prophets, but now God has spoken to us in his Son, in the stead and by the command of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are forgiven and forgiven again and forgiven again. We can indeed pray, restore us again because that's what God does in Jesus throughout the ups and downs of life. Restore us again, for Christ's sake is our plea, and God does so. Part three, the restoration of others. Embracing the mission of God in Christ involves reliance on the promise of restoration again, and again, and again. It is necessary for our lives, and it is a grace that we wish to share that others might experience it as well, especially in this moment. 
Consider the troubles of our world. Wars in so many places. Real threats to our climate. Consider the troubles in our country. From great divides to the opioid crisis to gun violence. Consider the troubles in this community on this campus that we have been walking through just these last months. Consider troubles among families and friends, and we haven't even gotten to the stress of this season yet, have we? Now, at times, the scriptures give us instructions for our role in the mission of God. Make disciples of all nations. Love one another as I have loved you. Pray without ceasing. Do not pass judgment on one another. Bear one another's burdens. But at other times, the scriptures give us examples. The Samaritan woman telling those in her community about what that guy at the well said. Or the care of the early church for widows. Or Philip approaching the Ethiopian. Or the clothing that Dorcas made for the poor. What's interesting is in the third section of Psalm 85, we get another example. There's a subtle switch in the language. Up through verse 6, it is we who are appealing to you, O God, to restore us again. We, that's plural, right? In verse 7, it switches to the singular, me. Let me hear what the Lord will speak. The community had just come to the temple to plead for restoration again. What this scene seems to depict is a priest, or more likely, a temple prophet announcing God's answer to their prayer. Let me hear what the Lord will speak, and then the announcement comes. He has spoken peace to his people. His salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. He speaks of the characteristics of God, steadfast in love, his faithfulness, his righteousness, and then he announces the best news of all. The Lord will give what is good, and our land will increase. In this example, we see the prophet saying essentially three things. God has spoken a word of peace. God is a God of love and faithfulness. And God will give what is good. As we listen to the worries, concerns, fears of those we encounter, we can be like that temple prophet. We can speak a word of peace a peace that comes from Jesus. Since we have been justified by faith, Paul writes in Romans 5, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can show how loving and faithful God is, how God again and again welcomes people into his family. All are welcome, all belong. And we can assure that God will give what is good. He has given us his son. He won't withhold other things from us. Restore us again. 
In Psalm 85, during a time of drought, the people plead to God that he would restore the land again, as he has done in the past, and forgive their sins. To extend the metaphor a bit, today, many are thirsting for life and peace. At times, we're among that number, and Psalm 85 assures us that God will restore us again. After all, doing so is the essence of what God is and why his son came among us. But there are many others who are thirsty. That is where you and I have a role to play. And our example is that temple prophet announcing peace from God. So these are your takeaways. Number one, God is about restoration and keeps doing so again and again and again. Number two, God hears the pleas of those who cry out to him. And number three, God appoints people like you and me to a prophetic task to hear what the Lord has said in Jesus and to be the voice of peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, especially in this season. And you know what? It's almost like being an angel. Remember what they said? Peace on earth and goodwill to all. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.